0: In a world full of suffering and death, we long for abundant life. Hello and welcome to the God Story Podcast. I'm Brent Siddle and our very special guest on the show this time is Jeff Brannan, Professor of Biblical Studies and Chair of the Biblical Studies and Christian Ministries Department at Belhaven University in Mississippi in the States. Jeff is the author of a new InterVarsity Press IVP book, called uh, The Hope of Life After Death, A Biblical Theology of Resurrection, and it's published in their Essential Studies in Biblical Theology series. And biblical theology, if we remember from previous episodes, folks, is uh, the idea of putting the whole Bible together and seeing how uh, the New Testament fulfills the Old and how the Old Testament prefigures the New. And with all that in mind, we greet our stateside guest, Jeff. Hi, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much. It's great to be here with you. Thanks, Brent. i really excited to be with you today.
0: Well, I'm excited about it because it's. I think this is a really excellent um, biblical theology of the resurrection, and it's a subject that we don't often think about in terms of the whole of Scripture. So, um, many of us have an understanding of Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross, don't we? But what I wonder is the importance of Jesus' resurrection. And have we, not downplayed, but have we underplayed the importance of Jesus' resurrection, do you think?
1: Yeah, Brett, uh, that's a a great question, and as I talk about um, in the book in a couple of places, this is really what kind of got me thinking about this whole topic. I had a seminary professor that um, challenged us in an introductory theology class, and he said, you know, most Christians— could speak at length or could give a theology of the atonement of Christ's sacrificial death could um, could speak about that. But uh, uh, although Christians could speak about that at length or to have a, a developed theology of Christ's sacrificial death, they could say very little about um, the importance of Christ's resurrection from the dead. Most people just talk about that as like in an apologetic sense of like proving who Jesus is. Jesus raised from the dead. Now you should listen to Jesus, that sort of thing. Or now you should believe what he uh, what he says. But there are some interesting, uh, some really interesting verses, some some striking verses. Well, first of all, let me mention that when my seminary professor said that it was um, I thought to myself, this is me. Like I, I, I can I can articulate the importance of Christ's death on the cross. But if someone asked me what the importance of Christ's resurrection from the dead, I'm not sure what I would say. Then you have these interesting verses, um, especially the Paul writes. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. First uh, Corinthians 15, 17. And then um, Romans 4, 25. He, speaking of Christ, was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So Paul, who all the time is connecting forgiveness of sins with Jesus' death on the cross is also connecting it with Jesus' resurrection, and um, and then justification uh, with resurrection as well. And so this kind of really got me started um, along these lines, thinking along these lines of resurrection.
0: Yeah, we'll come on and talk about how resurrection is linked to justification later in the show, if, if we may. But yeah. we better start off by setting the scene. What do we actually mean by resurrection?
1: Yeah, so um I think you know what I try to show um in this book um is how uh resurrection unfolds uh in the Bible. Um so the way I define it is something to this effect. Um I had to come up with a definition. I said something to this effect of God's uh God's act to raise believers to a glorified and bodily uh resurrection in the new creation. Now that's going to emphasize Kind of the final fulfillment of resurrection. Um, but we're going to see how resurrection unfolds in different ways in the Bible. But essentially, I think what we can talk about is um, God creates uh, humanity for life. This is what we see at the very beginning, Genesis 1 and 2. God is the author of life, He gives life, He creates humanity for life. Death is the result of sin. Um, but then when God gives this promise of redemption in Genesis 3.15, um, sin and death are going to be conquered. So with resurrection, we see how God's life-giving purposes are going to be redeemed and fulfilled for his people in the lives of his people.
0: Yes, this idea of new creation, that we're resurrected for life and a new creation is vitally important, isn't it? Because many of us, and I know myself yes. included for many years— Thought when I die I'm going to be with the Lord in heaven, yeah. but uh, I didn't fully understand or realize the importance of life in a new creation.
1: Yeah, that's that's right. And you know what I talked about in the book as well is that was really the other impetus. I mentioned the one thing about my curiosity about the importance of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, but also this notion of what eternal life will be like. Uh, I'll be honest, when I grew up. I remember I grew up in the church and so forth. And my kind of notion of eternal life was kind of going up into heaven and floating around on the clouds and so forth, and maybe playing harps or something like that. And I would feel so guilty because I would think, oh my gosh, that seems so boring. And I really don't want Jesus to come back yet, or I don't want this eternal life because it seems boring to me. And then when I got um, this picture of of the, the biblical picture that all of who and what God created us to be will be fulfilled in the new creation, a glorified bodily resurrection reigning with Christ forever in the new creation. All all that's good, having a greater fulfillment, and all that is sinful and evil being done away with. Then for the first time, I was like, well, this is an eternity I can get excited about.
0: Yes, I have uh, had a dear uh, colleague, a clergy friend in England, who used to use the uh, analogy of, of resurrection and new creation. He, he... When he takes his little or took his little daughter to the park and swung her on a swing she would fall off from time to time and he mm-hmm. would said that in the new creation in the resurrection body i will be able to swing my daughter on a swing and she will not fall off <laughs>
1: That's uh, that's right. That's right. I thought that was rather lovely. Yeah.
0: Okay, so let's go right back to the beginning of the Bible. I guess most of us wouldn't expect to find uh, resurrection uh, mentioned in the early chapters of Genesis, but I'm wondering how the creation account in Genesis 1 does lay the foundation for the hope of resurrection.
1: I think it does um, because we see God as the author of creation. God is the author of life. He is the one who gives life to humanity and he holds out. You know, I kind of in in my book, I, I highlight things like this, that life is connected to or the basis for life is a is a right relationship with God. So he creates us for a relationship with him. He creates us for life in his presence. So um, he gives uh, Adam and Eve and he commissions them um, to be his vice regents to reign over creation. But he also gives them a garden, the place of his presence, and uh, life is connected there. And he gives them a wonderful purpose to reign uh, over creation. And so life is connected with all these things uh, in the Genesis account and um, these are good, life-giving purposes that God gives to humanity. And that's really the foundation, because if we see that when you start to peak a little bit after the fall, if God's going to redeem humanity, then all of these life-giving purposes that God gives to humanity are going to be fulfilled in redemption.
0: How is redemption and indeed resurrection promised in Genesis 3.15? Because we have a fall... Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we see that Adam and Eve are created to be vice regents of the planet, um, yeah. which I find fascinating. And so, how is redemption and indeed resurrection promised in Genesis? Yeah, I think
1: it's I think it's implicitly promised. Again, if we kind of go back to this, that God creates us for a relationship with Him. He creates us to have life in His presence, and um, and He creates uh, and He creates us. He creates us for life. He creates us to reign and rule. So when sin comes into the picture, all of these things are broken. Our relationship with God is broken. Um, we're separated from God. We're alienated from God. We're driven out of God's presence. You see, Adam and Eve being cast out uh, of the garden, and you have these cherubim that are guarding uh, the garden, and so forth. So we're cast out of God's presence and essentially humanity at that point has given their allegiance to uh, themselves and to the word of the serpent. But when God gives this first promise, um, what I think we can see is if the offspring of the woman, who of course points to Jesus, and then and then all those who are allied with Jesus um, is going to crush the serpent one day, then God's purposes are going to be fulfilled for humanity. So I, I really, although it's implicit, I connect Genesis 315, which generally we just connect with the work of Christ, of course, correctly so, um, as also the first promise of resurrection implicitly, that because all of God's life-giving purposes that he gives humanity will be fulfilled, will be redeemed with uh, Jesus coming to crush the head of the serpent, and then therefore those allied with uh, Jesus.
0: Why is the story of Abraham and his family so important yeah, the, the
1: story of Abraham is, is so important, I think, because you have the first promise of redemption in Genesis 3.15, and then we have some other, of course, really important events with uh, with Noah and the Tower of Babel and so forth. But um, with the story of Abraham, you kind of see God's program of redemption uh, really starting to unfold. And, um, you know, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, God promises Abraham that he's going to have many descendants. Uh, he's going to be a great nation. He promises him a land. And he promises he can be a blessing to the ends of the earth. I mean, you can connect these sorts of things to, uh, as I do, to kind of the the cultural mandate or the primary commission. Again, that God's purposes for humanity are going to be are going to be fulfilled. You know, Paul calls these promises in Galatians. Uh, he calls these promises to Abraham uh, the gospel. He refers to them uh, as the gospel. And then and then you see things like this. You see God entering into a covenant with Abraham and so forth. And you have Abraham's a picture of how we can be of kind of faith in God's promises at times, but then also messing up and not believing at times. You know, you could look um, to one interesting example, uh, Genesis 22 with uh, with Abraham and Isaac. And when God calls uh Abraham to sacrifice his son, because you know, he could reflect on his promises that he's made and so forth, that he's going to um bring a son from Abraham and Sarah, and Abraham's faith in the midst of that, you know, as the author of Hebrews tells us, it's it's not only a picture of um Abraham being willing to sacrifice his son, God the Father being willing to sacrifice his son, Jesus, it's also a picture of resurrection from the dead, as uh Hebrews tells us that that Abraham considered that God could even raise uh, Isaac from the dead. So I think you kind of just see these as gospel promises, and uh, and they show us a picture of what life will be like, redeemed life. It starts to prefigure these sorts of things. And then we see even kind of a greater picture with this Abraham and Isaac episode.
0: Yeah, I wonder how the Joseph narrative moving further to the end of Genesis, yeah. how because I love Joseph, and it's so full of pictures of death and resurrection, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is. I think that's right. And, you know, I think, uh, and one of the things I highlight in the book a little bit is this kind of move to Egypt and so forth. First of all, with, um, you have with the story of Joseph, you have um, his brothers that are wanting to get rid of him. They're wanting, uh, they're wanting to kill him. And then they decide to sell him into slavery and to profit from it and so forth. And then the book of Genesis closes with this, that you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, the saving uh, of many lives. And so the, I think the story of Joseph, uh, highlights for us God's life-giving purposes. And so all this, although it's not, then you get to like, you know, the uh, the uh, Exodus event in Egypt, um, you know, which is hundreds of years later after Joseph. Joseph gets us there, and you find uh, that Egypt is a place of death, and God is bringing His people, Israel, out of death, out of this place of death in Egypt, and wants to bring them into a place of His presence and the place of His life.
0: Mm. and Moses also symbolically raised from the dead i guess as he's rescued from the genocide the uh genocide of the the small children and he's he's yeah. literally rescued isn't he so uh, symbolically i suppose death and resurrection yeah. again how are the themes of death and resurrection continued say in the lives of elijah and elisha
1: yeah that's uh that's that's good i think you know and this is I highlight this a little bit um, when I talk about Jesus's resurrection miracles but you know I think we could I think we could point to lots of things you know one of the things I point to earlier you know in, in kind of the Genesis account is Enoch gives us a little bit of a of a prefigurement of um, you have in this genealogy and, and he died and he died and he died and he died and then with Enoch he walked with the Lord highlighting a right relationship with the Lord and God took him. But then when you get to the ministries of uh, of Elijah and Elisha, you find them raising uh, people from the dead. Um, again, prefiguring the fact that God is the one who gives life. God can restore life. And the way I like to think about miracles uh, with Elijah and Elisha and then the miracles of Jesus and so forth are previews. Okay, they're not they're not the final fulfillment. They're not yeah, the final fulfillment of these sorts of things, but they give us previews of that which is to come. So the one who has the power to raise people from the dead will also ultimately raise his people from the dead uh when Jesus returns in the new creation. I think Elijah and Elisha um their ministries, you know, give us uh a prefigurement or a preview of that.
0: Yes, I'd love to be able to talk about Job and uh, the prophets, but you know, we have to, Job, I know that my Redeemer lives, mm-hmm. should be raised in the last day. There's the hope of resurrection, I suppose, isn't it, in Job?
1: Yeah, I think you find that, you know, there are a couple passages in Job that two or three passages that people will highlight when talking um, about these sorts of things. And you, you find, um, it seems, a hope that Job is pondering um, this notion of, God having power over death and then um, connecting kind of life and God's presence in some sort of way, perhaps even depending on how certain things are translated, perhaps even the notion of of, of being with God. Yeah. His presence.
0: Yes. Yes. I I love Job. Um, How do the Psalms speak of death and resurrection?
1: Yeah. Well, let me let me mention this. I love I love the book of Psalms and um, I had a seminary professor that referred to uh, the Psalms as the Cliff's Notes of the Bible. And uh, if if our listeners are familiar with Cliff Notes or Spark Notes, they're kind of the cheat sheets that people you know use when they maybe haven't read a book or something like that, because um, they're going to give you like the main themes and so forth. And um, what he said is that the Psalms kind of give us all the main themes uh, of the Bible. It's like the Cliff Notes. And uh, Martin Luther referred to the Psalms as the Little Bible. And this in this kind of vain. um so all the themes that we talk about like the kingdom of God, God's covenant with his people, his relationship with his people, how God dwells with his people or temple, salvation, redemption, forgiveness of sins, um suffering, all these all these themes are highlighted uh, in the book of Psalms. and so really it shouldn't come as any surprise that you also find right in the middle of Psalms uh, the hope of resurrection. I think that generally, what you find kind of the the hermeneutic or the interpretive principle with the psalmist is this is the god who can rescue his people from death is also the god who rescues his people after death and um, i think you see that kind of principle at work uh, in the psalms how does
0: jesus fulfill all the pictures of resurrection in the bible do you think (laughs) Uh, big question (laughs) I know. <laughs>
1: that is that is a that is a big question. So uh, I think you know if we took it back to you know like Genesis three fifteen, you have the offspring uh, of the woman that's going to come and crush the head of the serpent. So I think you can see this. You have humanity that's failed at being um, Adam and Eve. They fail at God's task. We've all fallen short. So um, Jesus comes and lives the life that that we should have lived. We deserve death as the consequence for sin. Jesus dies for sin, but then. Uh, I think what we find, because the New Testament tells us this, is that Jesus' death is not enough, that if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then you uh, are still in your sins. So Jesus conquers sin and conquers death um, in his resurrection from the dead. So because God has ordained it this way, all of the blessings that Christians have are uh, through union with Christ through being connected to him, through being united to him by faith. And if Jesus is dead and in the grave, then we are united to a dead Savior and someone who has not conquered sin and death, but someone that has been conquered by sin and death. So I think you can see, you know, even from Genesis 3.15, um, I think you can see this, that Jesus um, in his perfect life, in his sacrificial death and in his resurrection, all of these are essential for conquering sin and death if we wanted to connect some things to the Psalms, you know, which we've talked a, a little bit about, you know, um, I think uh, one of the most important passages in the Bible, Second Samuel 7, um, God's covenant with David. And what I always talk to people about is this, is that from this point on in redemptive history, from 2 Samuel 7 on, the hope for God's people is always uh, in the line of David. It's always in the line of David. And so you have David in Psalm 16 who is, um, it's really like a psalm of confidence, and he's pondering his relationship with the Lord, and he's expressing confidence confidence in his relationship with the Lord, that the Lord can deliver him, and that there will be perhaps even this joy that extends beyond this life into God's presence after this life. Well, what you find is the New Testament authors um, in Acts 2, Peter preaches about this, and he says, that this is fulfilled in the final David uh, that's to come. In his resurrection from the dead and in his enthronement, this final anointed one, this final anointed one did not experience death finally or see decay. His body didn't see decay, but God raised him from the dead. He's in God's presence. And um, so I think you see this hermeneutic of uh, 2 Samuel 7 and this forward-looking notion um, in the Davidic covenant. And it even, you know, Peter even says that uh, David was a prophet and knew that God would place a descendant on his throne one day. So I think you can point to things like that. I think you can point to the Old Testament prophets. Uh, and so, if, well, let me mention this, Isaiah 52 and 53, uh, the song of the suffering servant, mm. where it's usually talked about, uh, rightly so, Um, that this uh, servant will suffer for sin and be a sacrifice and atonement for sin. But at the beginning of the song and at the end, it also highlights the, um, I believe, the resurrection and enthronement of this suffering servant. So Jesus in his resurrection fulfills that. And then um, we see uh, as well with prophecies of resurrection like uh, Daniel 12, uh, Isaiah 25 and 26 and so forth you have Jesus as the first fruits uh, of the resurrection the term that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 15
0: Yes and so the resurrection really is the vindication of the Lord Jesus Christ isn't it In what sense because this is a fascinating part of your book that I thought was really really important in what sense do we as believers experience something of Jesus resurrection life now in the here and now
1: Yeah that's that's so important Um, And I think that the New Testament really highlights this for us. You know, when you, if you kind of went back, well, first of all, if you went back all the way to Genesis three, that God creates us for a right relationship with him. To know him, to walk with him, to be with him, so that's going to be restored, and so resurrection from the dead's made sure. But also, this relationship with God's going to be restored. When you look at places like Ezekiel thirty-six and thirty-seven, that has these kind of eschatological prophecies and so forth of um, I, uh, of things like a restored relationship with God. God's going to give us um, His Spirit. There's going to be life in the land. There's going to be uh, this king from the line of David, and then I think. Whether explicitly or implicitly, um, you have the promises of resurrection there in Ezekiel 36-37. So what we find is in our salvation, kind of everything unfolds through the first coming and second coming of Jesus. So whether uh, our relationship with God unfolds this way, we are created anew uh, in Christ. Our resurrection unfolds this way, I think, with spiritual resurrection. So you find the beginning of these fulfillments of like Isaiah 36 and 37 and Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 and so forth in a renewed, restored relationship with God. And this is the reason that you know Paul uses this astounding language, for example, like in Ephesians 2, 4 through 7 that believers have been raised up with Christ. He'll talk about in Ephesians 4, they've been created uh, anew, Ephesians 2.10, newly created in Christ. And so this really is um, something which is real, that God's Spirit, just as God's Spirit gave life to Adam in Genesis 2, just as God's Spirit raises Jesus from the dead, so uh, the Holy Spirit raises us newly in Christ for new life in Christ. And then, of course, the exhortations. Now, this is not completely fulfilled yet, so we still struggle with sin and all that sort of stuff. Um, but that's the reason you have these exhortations to be who you are in Christ and become who you are in Christ. Um, I think it's Richard Gaffin that says that the whole of the Christian life can be described as resurrection life. And so really what Paul and Peter, like in 1 Peter 2 and so forth, um, they're what they're doing is encouraging us to live out who we are in Christ, newly raised to new life in Christ.
0: One last question, or possibly two last questions. We've got time probably for a couple more. How, how will the second coming of Jesus bring together all the themes of new creation and resurrection in the Bible, do you think?
1: Yeah, that's that's a great question. So I think, again, you think back to, to Genesis 3.15, and God's creation purposes for his people will be fulfilled. So God creates us for a right relationship with him, Well, that's begun to be fulfilled in in justification and being reconciled to God through Christ. But when we go to be with Christ, when Jesus comes and we go to be with him, um, we'll no longer sin. Okay, so um, at that point, we will, um, as sometimes the reformers and other people have mentioned, um, we will uh, no longer be able to sin. Um, So we'll be uh, we'll live with Christ, we'll dwell with Christ forever in the new creation. And um, the final fulfillment of kind of these new creation promises has to it has to happen as we kind of live out this new creation life uh, in the new creation. God's presence with his people. There will be no temple revelation. Uh, the book of Revelation, the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. So we will the whole of the new creation will be God's temple and God's presence. So we will dwell with God. The tree of life uh will be there um uh, for the healing of the nations. Hmm. And then and then uh we'll reign with Christ as he intended. Right now, it's um if I believe if we're Christians, we reign with Christ in a sense that Christ has accomplished salvation, and when we die, we go to be with him, but as you mentioned in your example, sometimes our daughter still falls off the swing. Um, the last few months, um, I a few months ago, I tore my ACL and meniscus playing basketball. Mm. So um, uh, the the heat that's coming together. I've had I've had the um, the surgery and everything, and that's it's uh, kind of my um, healing's coming together pretty well and so forth. But that won't happen, and um, you know we'll no longer be subject to uh, to sin and death. Um, that will be newly raised in Christ, glorified, resurrected bodies, uh, reigning with Christ forever. So you think about, again, just God's creation purposes, all of these come to fulfillment uh, in the new creation.
0: One last question, pastoral question before we finish, Jeff. How how does the hope of resurrection sustain us all through the tragedies of this life? Thinking of death?
1: Yeah, certainly. Um, I think that the hope of resurrection... Number one tells us that this life uh, is not all there is. You know, um, it's a challenge uh, for everybody. You know, Paul will highlight for us in 1 Thessalonians First Thessalonians, that with death, um, we grieve. You know, when, when Jesus, um, his friend Lazarus dies, he, he, he grieves, he cries, he weeps. Even there's this notion of Jesus getting angry at death there. So we grieve, but our grief is not as in the rest of the world um our, so this this notion that what we really really believe and must believe and must know that Jesus is coming back and there will be eternal resurrection life in the new creation this is really what can help sustain us um in the present all right if this life is all there is Paul will say that we're we're of all people most to be pitied but if there's something glorious beyond this it's something that can sustain us through the trials and tribulations. I love the book of Revelation Mm. because I I, sometimes I summarize it like this, you know, you might get your head chopped off, but Christ uh, has overcome death. Revelation 118, I am, uh, I hold the keys um, to death and Hades um, being raised from the dead. And this is the hope for us that even, um, even through difficulties, even through trials, even through death, We have this hope in the sense of a firm and certain hope uh, that as believers will be with the Lord forever. Mm -hmm. I would highlight as well in the present, you know, what we talked about of this notion of resurrection life um, in the present, uh, what it means to live out um, our faith in Christ because we've been newly created in Christ. This is really what we're called to be is to is to be who we are in Christ or to become who we are in Christ and i love this passage in uh philippians 3 where you kind of see paul you know kind of highlighting the goal um he says is is this of of resurrection that this is his this is his final hope and i guess i would say that you know without resurrection from the dead god's promises his plan of redemption um his program of redemption our salvation um is not complete and so um uh, all aspects are, of course, are important, um, but this is going to be, you know, one of the final pieces of the puzzle that we uh, that will be fulfilled and that we experience.
0: Indeed, Jeff Brennan. Jeff, thank you so much. Jeff is the author of this new IVP America book in the Essential Studies in Biblical Theology series called "The Hope of Life After Death: A Biblical Theology of Resurrection." It's fabulous, and if you want a really good detailed um, understanding of the whole biblical survey of the theme of resurrection. This is the book to get hold of. Jeff, thank you so much for your time.
1: Thanks so much. This was wonderful. Appreciate you letting me be with you.
0: Oh, uh, thank you. No, it, it's it, it was great. Thanks. And thanks to our creative team at Liquid Edge who sponsor this podcast and who take care of things behind the scenes. Jeff, thanks so much. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to give us a rating and leave a review. This will help more people discover God's story for themselves. If you'd like to get in touch or learn more, please visit godstorypodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. That's godstorypodcast.com.